Lopate at Large. I'm Ludwig Lopate. Michael Patrick McDonald joins us now. He is the author of a number of books, including the American Book Award-winning best-selling memoir, All Souls, a family story from Southie, and Easter Rising, a memoir of roots and rebellion. And he's also been serving as a special correspondent on this show, covering events in Ireland and on the impact of Brexit on that divided island and the UK in general. Uh, so much has happened since you were last here, Michael. Welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be here again. Uh, there's been a major political upheaval in Ireland uh, for 90 years or so. 80, what is it? 91 years. Uh, Ireland has been mostly dominated by two center-right parties that have alternated being in power. But this past Saturday, Sinn Féin, the, the left a wing nationalist party that's probably best known for being the political arm of the Irish Republican Army during the the decades of sectarian conflict in Northern Ireland, uh, the, the Troubles, yep. uh, they received the most uh, first preference votes in the Irish general election. Right. Uh, what reasons are being given for that? Um, well, they ran on an agenda that was really about, um, it was an economic agenda on, on housing and health care, but nobody, nobody who... Um, voted for Sinn Féin um, would not know that they're the uh, party of Irish unification as well. So um, they, they won really on a, on a left-wing economic agenda in a, in a state that's increasingly unaffordable with, um, just like here, with, with uh, wealth inequality being at an extreme and housing being completely unaffordable, health care being unaffordable and totally inefficient. So it's kind of like a Bernie Sanders, it, it, like I, I'd agenda. say, it's it's in that direction, sure, yeah. Um, the, and the thing is, too, they, um, you know, uh, they Sinn Fein moves around a bit, but um, this was a left agenda that that the electorate uh, voted for, and it would now be up to the electorate to hold them to that, and um, and I think they know that. Now, did this come as a surprise? Because uh, didn't Sinn Fein? Performed poorly in Ireland's 2018 they presidential did, yeah. election and yeah. lost seats in, in the local and European elections last year. They did, yeah. And I think that um, there's so many recent developments, including Brexit um, and and some of the kind of brazenness um, and uh, an attitude toward Ireland coming from England, coming from London. Um, I think that helped a little bit. There was also a recent controversy over Fine Gael, the the kind of the more historically conservative leaning party that was recently in power um, was proposing a commemoration that would include remembering the black and tans who had wreaked havoc in Ireland um, on behalf of the British crown to in a kind of I don't know they 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 kind of proposed it as a as an attempt at a reconciliation with with England but the the population, for what reason um, to, it, to to make things easier because of brexit it was yeah and it was kind of yeah and to keep yeah to keep relations probably um, good for economic reasons which is for Nigel's you know they they would be the more capitalist party um, but you know that the people have memories of uh, you know family memories stories told of the the atrocities committed by the black and tans um, on behalf of the British crown in Ireland and it was unbelievable the black backlash. Um, so that 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 was kind of, you know, the tipping point really. But I think the main thing that has made people um, go increasingly left in Ireland is is the housing crisis and healthcare. 
And it, this goes against the trend in Europe. Uh, if you it look does. at elections yeah. in yeah. other countries, England, France, Italy, yeah. uh, Eastern Europe, uh, the, the the move is toward right wing, yeah. uh, sometimes even neo-fascist uh, governments, uh, right. anti-immigrant. This is I, is I, this I, an anomaly? It's unbelievable. I mean, I've spent I spent the past year living in Ireland, in the north, and but I was you know all over the island. It's a small island, and. Um, and you could still go back and forth without yeah, any problems? No, it's nothing. The border is, you know, barely exists except the money changes and you might get That's because Donald Trump isn't uh, building a wall there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so good at it, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to be in a place where there's really no inkling of fascist movement at all. Um, well, there are there are there are small right-wing parties. Movement. Yep. So there was a there was a, a, a there's been there's, well there's a party called Into. So recently Sinn Fein um, stood uh, for choice, um, and you know they would be the Catholic party, but of course for a lot of people Catholic is just you know a cultural thing and um, and not necessarily a religious thing. But but Sinn Fein stood clearly for choice, and so there were there was a party that broke away from them and they're called Aintu and they would be a pro-abortion party, essentially, um, a single issue party. And then there's r- recent parties that are um, developing uh, kind of an imitation of, say, the, you know, well, just with the anti-immigrant um, sentiment that might be happening, the, there, there would be right-wing neo-fascist parties, um, very racist parties, but they got a tiny, tiny, tiny vote. But the Greens did fairly the well. The Greens did well, and, and Sinn Féin, well, the Sinn Féin's majority isn't big enough to form a government, so they might have to go into government with the Greens and other left-wing parties. Wasn't uh, one of the, the problems that Sinn Féin didn't expect to do so well, so they didn't actually they didn't, yeah. mount enough candidates? Right, they didn't. I mean, they so they got a majority of the vote. Um, the popular vote, Sinn Féin got 24.5%. Uh, Fine Gael, the former leading party, uh, got 20%. Fianna Fáil, the other of the duo party system, Fianna Fáil, got 22%. So Sinn Féin won a really substantial popular vote majority, I would say. Um, And the other left-wing parties, like the Greens got 7%, People Before Profit got, um, got, I think, 5 or 6%, Social Democrats, and so forth. So the collection of left-wing parties, the vote on the left is is about half the country. And, and, And I mean really left, not like our Democrats, you know what I mean? Like left, definitely left of our Democrats. Um, and so... Would they want socialism or... Well, I, I think a lot of people, well, you know, that's not... Is there Europe, socialized, that's not a, socialized medicine yeah. in the Republic of Ireland? Basically, yeah, you know, I always say to people here, like, um, you know, even neighbors of mine who vote Republican or whatever, um, who who agree with me on all things that would be called social, you know, all the safety nets I grew up with as a kid on welfare, as a kid who went to public school, as a kid who had Medicaid. Um, most people agree with that stuff. And then you, you know, you mentioned the S word and it gets all scary, but it's like, this is stuff that used to be kind of normal here, you know? Um, but over there, that is still normal over there. The idea that, you know, the idea of the social contract and that, um, and that our taxes should be benefiting us. In exit polls, 57% of the voters said that they were for a united Ireland. Isn't that a major change? Because for a long time, hasn't the South been largely uncommitted on the question of unity, especially since the Catholic Church has been opposed to uh, republicanism? Right. And, you know, in, in the North, the Catholic nationalist Republican population, the population that would have been 
historically an oppressed minority in the North, um, they always felt forsaken by people in the South in a lot of ways and, and you know, would um, refer to them derogatorily as free staters, meaning they got their free state and they moved on and they don't really care about us. But um, but that's all shifted. It's completely, uh, you know, not only um, did was there a large uh, vote in the exit polls for United Ireland among the general electorate, um, the Sinn Féin electorate in the election went 80% for unity. So some people would like to say some, you know, the establishment is trying to um, make sure that this does not feel like a vote for United Ireland, the pro-British establishment or the, you know, kind of West Brit establishment in in Ireland. Um, But clearly people who voted for Sinn Féin voted also for United Ireland. And Sinn Féin's primary platform is to end the partition and create a 32-county United Mm -hmm. Irish Republic. Right. And that's clear to everyone. So it wouldn't be, you know, people weren't just voting on. I mean, it was a combination of things, really. It's like a perfect storm happening over there, you know, and, and part of it is the resentment and the, and the attitudes that came out. It's really blatant anti-Irish attitude, British anti-Irish attitudes that came out with Brexit um, have kind of spurred more desire for um independence from that place you mean uh, anti-irish yeah uh, attitudes yeah, in britain to, not in in northern ireland in where britain, there's and by the british establishment um you know even in the okay so in the north you have for a long time about half the population would be the unionist they'd be protestant but of course this isn't about religion they'd be protestant unionist loyalist population loyal to the crown um that population feels more attached to britain than Britain feels to them. Um, but historically, Britain, especially well, the Tories, conservatives, have used that population to tip the vote whenever they need to tip the vote in Westminster, because that party does show up for all conservative causes um, in the UK Parliament. Um, recently, Boris's huge, um, you know, vote, that his election, his huge, huge win, um, allowed him to throw that population under the bus. And and therefore not go the route of bringing back a border on the island of Ireland and so forth. So that population right now is in a strange place, um, the loyalist population in the north of Ireland. They're loyal to a country that doesn't know they exist. Their rights uh, as a a British-identified population, Uh, they'd be a minority within the 32-county republic. And would they be willing to give up all the privileges that came with uh, the the so-called Protestant ascendancy? I think that's yeah. I think that's the the big question. Like it's often posed as they're going to be an oppressed minority on this majority Catholic Ireland again. To most people, you know, the Catholic Nationalist Republican population um, really wants them to be part of a pluralist society, Uh, but but they would have to give up a historic privilege, and that's really what it comes down to. Some people, you know, it's like where when white racist here will will claim that you know they're going to be an oppressed minority when in fact all they're doing is need to do is give up a little bit of privilege, you know? Well, there are Protestants living in the Republic of Ireland. Right. Uh, they're not right. an oppressed minority, no, are they? No, but you know, and there are, there, are, there are huge mythological stories about, you know, when, when partition happened and the, the and, um, and, you know, a Catholic majority existed in the South. There are huge myths around pogroms and so forth of Protestants, and it's just, they're, they're not true, you know. Um, it's just 5%. I think it's a, a population of about 5%. It's a small minority in the Republic of Ireland that are, would be of the 
Protestant, i.e. British heritage. Now, Sinn Féin has also been active as a political party in Northern Ireland, uh, but they have refused to send anybody, uh, any representatives to the British Parliament? Yes. They, Wouldn't that have been counter... Isn't that counterproductive? Well, they really... They, they, their argument would, that, would be that they don't really have a whole lot of... They understand that Britain um, has no use anymore. I mean, there was a use at one time for Ireland and then um, the north of Ireland um, within the British economy and the British, um, British imperial interests and so forth in the world. But recently there's really no use for Ireland or the North of Ireland. And they understand that. And they also understand that, um, you know, it's like a, they're, they're just a, a kind of, um, a, a bastard stepchild really of, of the British empire. And they don't, they know that they would never have a huge influence. So they abstain. They, they have an abstentionist politics, um, in Westminster. They vote, they run for office and they won't show up to take their seats. What is the economy of Northern Ireland like? I mean, does it contribute to the UK's total economy? Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty small population when you think about it. It's it's like 1.7 million in the six counties of the north of Ireland. Really? Yeah, it's a pretty small... And That's the, and a in, small city in the United <laughs> yeah, States. Exactly. And I think Boston's probably um, that big in the daytime anyway, when the commuters are in town. But... Um, but the Republic of Ireland is, I think, only about five and a half million um, or something like that. So, yeah, it's about five and one point eight or something. But they so so it would be a small part of the UK. Now, would one of the reasons that people in the north might uh, support unification, uh, the concerns over the border? Um, yeah, that I mean, but now because wouldn't Brexit uh, have uh, uh, wouldn't Brexit lead to the closing the border? Suddenly you, you have uh, uh, two countries that uh, are no longer uh, right. uh, working together. When In the past, when the uh, Republic of Ireland was is part of the EU, mm-hmm. uh, before Brexit... And the six counties of Northern Ireland mm-hmm. are part of the UK, of course. So mm-hmm. that means yanking those six counties against the majority's wishes. So just to back up a little bit, the Good Friday Agreement, the peace accords um, of the late 90s... Um, meant a kind of elimination of the border, at least Mm -hmm. like elimination of a hard border. The six counties of Northern Ireland are still part of the UK. They still go on Sterling. And the 26 counties are part of the Republic of Ireland. Um, So there's different currency. Yeah, and that's about it. Other than that- How is business conducted then? um, Well, so because it was all part of the European Union, um, you wouldn't need a customs border. Mm. So with Brexit came the threat of having to bring back a hard border um, that was disappeared during the, um, that's a poor choice of words, words, but disappeared during the, um, during the, the peace process. But um, that, that threat is gone now um, for the most part, I think, because Boris with his huge election win was, allowed to throw the unionist loyalist population under the bus as they would see it and to put instead of bringing back a hard border on the island of ireland between northern ireland and the republic of ireland put the customs border in the irish sea so ireland is essentially the island of ireland is currently an economic united ireland um and that's a step toward well loyalists would fear that that's a step toward a political united ireland and they're and they're probably right my guest is Michael Patrick McDonald, who is a regular contributor to our show. We talk about Ireland 
and Brexit and related matters. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, where a listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. Uh, many companies in Northern Ireland appear to be unprepared for Brexit. It's been reported that the paperwork alone could cost up to 55 pounds, that's about $72 in mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. dollars each time, just to fill out, and uh, and, and then smaller companies uh, dealing with le- and lesser loads will be disproportionately affected. Right. Um, it's disastrous, and I think that a lot of... Um a lot of that population, the the kind of um, you know the the business class, um, would have been probably remainers during the Brexit vote. So of course, the North of Ireland participated in the Brexit vote because they're legally part of the UK. But just to give numbers on that, um, the 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 vote in the North of Ireland um, on Brexit was fifty six percent of the population voted to remain in Europe. So that's a by our standards here, that's a huge majority, mm. 50, when you get 56% of anything. And that means that not only did most Catholic, Nationalist, Republican people vote to remain in the European Union, but it also, also you got some Protestants there. So if you have a 56% majority over there, you know that you got some Protestant Unionist people. Um, they, they believe it was a lot of um, farmers who were getting subsidies from the European Union and so forth. But I see, you know, I just spent a year there living in Belfast, and... Um, just talking to any time, any chance I had, I would talk to Protestant people. I mean, they, they used to be this kind of like exotic population when I would go over there that exotically scary, actually population that you would never even really communicate with. Did it help that you were an American? So you didn't <clears throat> have used to an not accent? Help. No, it used to not help at all because they can look at me and, and know my background. And if you're Irish American, you're probably... Um, historically, they would associate you with the Republican struggle. Um, so they would, they, you know, the, the money for a lot of the, the uh, you know, the IRA money came from over here, of course, you know, and weapons and so forth. But so you'd be associated with that as an Irish American, and you'd probably be Catholic and probably therefore pro-United Island, pro-Republican is what they would think. But that's kind of lightened up a little bit. Um, and just, I've seen, especially with younger people, um, I taught at Queens and so I had probably ha- more than half of my class would be from the Protestant British identified background. And I'll tell you, they're just not afraid of United Ireland. And that's not the way it was 10, 15 years ago. So they are, uh, not upset that Sinn Féin did as well as it did in the election. A lot of them would steer clear of Sinn Féin because, you know, they grew up with stories, mm. um, that, that would be, uh, scary to them. And so they don't see them as just kind of an economically, economic social justice, uh, party. Um, they do know that they would be the party for marriage equality, for choice, um, and with a, at least liberal leaning economic agenda, um, which would be their, you know, that, but there's another party that, that would tend to get them, which would be the Alliance party. The other thing about the young Protestant population, if they're going to Queens and kind of upwardly mobile and so forth, they're, they're often leaving. If, if they become kind of liberal minded, they'll leave home. They, they'll, you know, that population is dominated by a, a kind of evangelical Christian ethos. So it's a very conservative homes that the people are coming from. So people, unfortunately, a lot of progressive young Protestants will flee. They used to flee to Europe. Now they can't because of Brexit. 
Now, so you had the evangelical Protestants dominating in mm-hmm. Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church dominating in the Republic of Ireland. Right. But it looks like the Catholic Church has lost a lot of its clout right. in the Republic of Ireland. Which is another huge factor in changing the dynamics over there because you have a Republic, a republic of Ireland in the South that is looking increasingly progressive, ex- very progressive by our standards over here in the United States especially. Um, and that looks really appealing to a lot of young people, whether they're Protestant or Catholic in the North. Um, just to look at the recent elections, at, I mean, the recent referendums in the South and the Republic of Ireland, the vote for marriage equality in the South in the 26-county Republic of Ireland was 62% in favor of marriage equality. Marriage equality meaning uh, that uh, there could be gay marriage? You can, yeah, marry whatever gender. Yeah, so, um, and... Um, 62% in favor of that. Mm. Those are numbers we wouldn't get even in probably in you know New York City, I don't think. I don't, um, Republic of Ireland vote for choice recently. Mm. And again, this was a, the formerly Catholic church dominated state. 66.4% voted for choice. Oh, we you wouldn't would get that get in the that. United States. No, you wouldn't get that. In, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. You wouldn't get that in Massachusetts even. Um, so we'd be barely dealing with like 51, 49% situations, even in our most republic, uh, in, in our most liberal states here, you know? So that's a very progressive, um, republic that's, that's evolved there. Once the, once the church was gone, it was really gone. And, and, and people what really, did, what well, it's how the, did that happen? A lot of the abuses, of course. Uh, oh, it was because, that, yeah. of the, because of the abuses of, uh, priests and also nuns, all those scandals. I think, I, oh yeah. So the, the sexual abuse by priests, but then, and then, um, with the, uh, scandals around, you know, a lot of children that were born to unwed parents in that Catholic dominated state would often be given up to nuns who basically sold these children off to, you know, rich people in England and sometimes the United States and any children that were not really worthy of adoption it, by their, you know, in their eyes would be often put to death. Ooh. So there are, there are mass graves um, that are being discovered all over the, the Catholic church is, is done in the Republic of Ireland. And that doesn't mean that people aren't, you know, don't hold on to some cultural, you know, they're hugely culturally Catholic in a, in a lot of the better ways, which would be around social justice issues. But you said also that economic uh, issues, unification was not a key factor in the Sinn Féin victory. It was more issues like uh, housing and uh, and social services, health care and, and the like. What what problems uh, have? Uh, OK, but I just want to say that the that, you know, the economic stuff, health care and housing really caused the surge, but no, I don't think anybody went to the polls voting for Sinn, Sinn Féin without the understanding that they're also voted mm-hmm. for United Ireland. You just, I mean, that's the brand, sure. that's the Sinn Féin brand. So that's, so that's up there as well. And that's been spurred on by Brexit and that's been spurred on by recent offenses by Fine Gael that were looking to commemorate the, the British black and tans who slaughtered people on behalf of the British crown and so forth. So so it's all part of it. But the economic issues in the Republic of Ireland, if you, if you um, spend a day in Dublin, it's uh, like the situation we're seeing in places like where I come from in Boston or here where you have this extreme gulf of wealth and poverty. Um, homelessness is more visible there. Homelessness was something you didn't see you know, two decades ago in, in places like over there in Dublin. Um, it's very visible, more visible than here. I'd say that over here we've been very good at 
kind of trying to get things out of sight, out of mind. We still see people sleeping. <clears throat> we in the see streets, it, but not yeah. like you. You know, of course, you're, you you and I remember how it was in in Tompkins Square Park in the '80s mm-hmm. and so forth. But um, but a lot of that's been pushed out just for appearances, for optics. You know, so we I think we've gotten better. I mean, not better, but we've gotten sneakier at keeping things out of sight, out of mind. Here, they're not there yet. They're it's very visible there. Um, and in a lot of cases in Dublin, it really looks like New York City in the 80s. Um, and an apartment is completely unaffordable. And the health services were increasingly privatized and deregulated and so forth. Then people have these nightmare stories of, you know, being left on a trolley in a waiting room for days. And, you know, their parents or grandparents dying prematurely because of that in a system that's pretty expensive. So it's not the free health care of the North. And this is a whole other dyna- dynamic we can talk about. But it's a it's a kind of neoliberal privatized system that's also very inefficient very expensive. Um, so people, as much as people in the progressive people in the North would be looking to the South on a lot of social issues like marriage equality and, and choice and so forth, people in the South look to the NHS of the North. The National idea, Health Service, the National the, the, Health which Service, is the yeah. regular British health service. So when we talk about um, Irish unity and, and you know the possibility of a United Ireland, I think that it's important sometimes to not think of it as a situation where the six counties statelet called Northern Ireland just becomes part of this um, recently you know economically neoliberal state of the South that's really pretty disastrous. It's more about creating a new Ireland and maybe looking to the best of both worlds and the best of the best thing in the North. My mother when we, when I was living over there, my mother visited, she's 85, she had a heart attack, and I got to experience the uh, National Health Service. It was phenomenal. Um, nobody, there was no questions about how are you going to pay. And they put in a stent, and it was just an incredible, incredible service. And Something this would be I've, a big issue in this country right now. Yeah, and I've never seen anything like it, and, and especially with an 85-year-old person. They treated her like they would treat a 20-year-old person. That was also different. Um, so it's... It, and, and, you know, there are a lot of problems with the NHS in the mainland UK um, to do with a larger population and um, overcrowding and weights and so forth. In the north, you might get a little of that. But with emergencies, it's just unbelievably efficient. Like I said, it's a small population that has a national health service. And it's really, really good. Also, because of the troubles, this is an, uh, 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 an interesting thing, is that the because of the troubles... Um, Belfast and places like that are uh, really efficient health services because people were suffering from bombings and shootings, but also heart attacks. So in Belfast, they pioneered the stent technology that my mother, <laughs> you know, they, it's, it's one of the best places to have a heart attack, apparently, is what I was told. Um, and this is so this is not the situation you'd have in the South. I was in Dublin and once broke, broke a toe. And it was the most disastrous experience in waiting rooms and uh, and and so forth, and really expensive, um, and 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 paperwork galore just to figure out how you're going to pay for this. Um, the North is not like that, so people in the South look to the NA, the UK's NHS as something that they would like to have. So the people in the South have a system similar to ours with with private insurance mm-hmm. companies and the mm-hmm. like, whereas yeah. the North there are no insurance companies. There is just no. I mean, you can opt. You, you, they're, they're for wealthier people would go the private route in the north i think uh, but a lot as of they do don't. in britain yeah and they usually do that for things that would were you know like a hip pl- something you're planning for um they'll do it for things like that but for emergencies even people i know who have private insurance in the north for emergencies they'll use the nhs 
What uh, has it has uh, Boris Johnson's government commented on the Sinn Fein victory? I don't think I haven't seen anything at all. Um, and you know, here's the thing about that: their their election system is like the UK election system in terms of um, you know, in order to form a government, you have to have a clear majority. So Sinn Fein does not have a clear majority. So we don't hmm. know where this will go. Um, let's, okay, so Sinn Féin, their popular vote was 24%. Fine Gael, the former leading party, was is their vote was 20%. Popular vote, Fine Fáil, 22%. But in terms so of seats... So there's got to be a coalition between yeah, left yeah, and, and yeah. right wing Sinn Féin didn't get party. the most seats because they didn't run enough candidates, really. But they have um, 37 seats. Um, Fianna Fáil is 38 and Fine Gael, the former leading party is 35 so they have a they have a lot of see, it's pretty much a three way split uh, but Sinn Féin is the clear winner um, and they would be looking to form a left wing coalition government looking to the Greens the Labour Party uh, People Before Profit which are also called Solidarity um, they'd be looking to form and uh, they'd be looking to form a, a you know a left wing but even that won't be a majority. That would amount to 66 seats, and you need 80 seats. So this could lead to another election. So that's what they do over there. Um, and a lot of people are predicting if there was, if there were another election, Sinn Féin would go into it with more confidence and win much bigger. Aren't there other uh, councils and such that uh, where people get uh, have some kind of say on? On uh, on policy, yeah, and this is being brought up with the whole notion of um, a united Ireland, um, and these are called citizen assemblies. Um, on constitutional issues in the Republic of Ireland, you have these citizen assemblies, which will gather to make recommendations. Um, if a majority of them believe in um, and that that it, there's a likelihood of passing, they'll make a recommendation for any referendum that would lead to any constitutional change. So it was a citizen assembly in the South that led to the vote for marriage equality. It was a citizen assembly in the South that led to the vote for um, around around abortion. And um, this is where a group in uh, an island-wide group called Ireland's Future. Um, led by uh, people like Niall Murphy and uh, are organizing around a united Ireland. And they're calling for a citizen assembly um, to make such recommendations. In order for there to be a united Ireland, you have to have a border pole in the north. Um, you'd have to, and so they're calling for that as soon as possible. You have to have a border pole in the north and a majority in the north would have to vote uh, for United Ireland. So, and if you fail that, you have to really wait another generation before you can even have such a vote. So it's it's dangerous to jump too soon uh, for people who do want to United Ireland. If uh, you have a successful border poll for unity in the North, then it goes to the people in the South and they have uh, a referendum also. So, um, but both sides of the border would have to um, agree to that. But in order to get this moving, uh, people like, um, Ireland's future are calling for a citizens assembly to make those recommendations. And if if the decision was made to unify Ireland, would Britain have no say in the matter? Right, and that was all part of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. But um, but the thing is, people. So the 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 caution in everyone's mind is Brexit. So Brexit was just a vote. We're going to just get out of here and and um, it forced the issue. Yeah. So they people. Ireland, uh, Ireland's future. This this group that's organizing around unity and so forth. They, they're calling for a lot of planning. They're they're calling for United Ireland within five years. 
and then other people, even if they're nationalists, say the uh, SDLP in the North Social Democratic Labor Party, or even Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in the South, which claim to be um, for United Ireland, don't always show it so much. They're calling for a much longer uh, planning process, and they're pointing to Brexit as the big mistake that happens when you jump into um, that kind of a huge constitutional uh, decision. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We are back with our conversation about Ireland and Brexit and related matters with Michael Patrick McDonald, uh, author of a number of uh, best-selling books, including All Souls, A Family Story from Southie, and Easter Rising, A Memoir of Roots and Rebellion. Uh, but before we continue the conversation, a reminder that we are now ending the second week of our winter fund drive. Uh, we would have this fund drive uh, under any circumstances, but uh, right now uh, the need is even greater than usual. And joining me now with some of the details is my executive producer, Jesse Lent. Hi, Hello, Jesse. Leonard. Hello, Michael and Reggie. Great to be here. And yes, I think what you were alluding to there, Leonard, is the fact that it might seem to some of our regular listeners like we have been in a perpetual fun drive since fall. But what actually happened was, uh, without going down the whole lengthy, detailed explanation that I think a lot of our listeners have heard at this point, there was a faction at the Pacifica Network which shut us down for a month before a judge intervened and we were and found in our favor, uh, we were in our fall fund drive back in October when that happened. So and that we, was cut short. And we were off the air for a month. And because there were financial underpinnings there, when we ha- when we came back, we had to jump headfirst into fundraising. But now we're back on track, and at least scheduling-wise, even though we're still hoping to break even at least with this fun drive, that's why we're asking our listeners to step up and make a, a pledge of any amount by calling 516-620-3602 or by going to give to WBAI.org. However, uh, if anyone wants to become a BAI buddy today, that's someone, Leonard, who as you probably know, makes a contribution of $10 or more a month. Uh, Anyone who signs up to do that today will get an autographed copy of Michael Patrick McDonald's best-selling novel, All Souls. It's a memoir. His memoir, his 2007 memoir, All Souls, A Family Story from Southie. 
as anyone who listens to the show uh, regularly knows, uh, Michael is one of our regular contributors uh, and always has interesting insights, a take that that other people will not give you, at least in this fashion, on that part of the world. So if you would like to get that interesting take in book form and find a little bit more out about the history of Michael Patrick McDonald, what goes into making a Michael Patrick McDonald, then please step up right now and make that contribution. Now, uh, going back to what you were saying about the the coup that uh, cut us off the air for a while, uh, the uh, excuse given was that WBAI had all sorts of uh, financial problems. Well, we are hoping that we can right ourselves and not have that excuse out there anymore because there's still the threat. There are still people in uh, in Pacifica who say, well, BAI can't pay its way. It owes a, a lot of money, uh, and we should just take it over and, and sell uh, its, its broadcast license, and we'll make a lot of money from that. Uh, so we are asking you to help us get past that by becoming a supporter of this station. And any amount is welcome. If you want to call in and say, I'm going to give $10, that's great, $100. Uh, if you become a BAI buddy, that's even uh, better for us because it means that you'd be a sustaining member and we would be uh, assured that every month we would be getting $10 from you or $15 from you or whatever amount you decided you're comfortable with until you decide you no longer want to do it. And it would be good for anyone who wants to become a BAI buddy today because as I mentioned, you'll be getting an autographed copy of Michael Patrick McDonald's best-selling memoir, All Souls, A Family Story from Southie. And, you know, Michael is one of our regular contributors at the show. And this is something that Leonard and I have put a lot of thought and work and had a lot of conversations about. We love bringing you new ideas every day on the show, five days a week, 1 to 2 p.m. here on WBAI. But there are certain issues that are just simply not going to be resolved in an hour. I would say what is happening in Ireland and the U.K. right now is definitely one of those issues. And it doesn't get reported on very much. Uh, I, I'm sure that, uh, except for maybe one or two listeners, most of you are hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time. Even if you uh, read the New York Times closely, you won't know most of these things. So uh, we, we feel it's our job to talk about issues like this or quantum mechanics or uh, what's going on in, uh, in politics, whatever, uh, in a way that nobody else is doing. And, and uh, we, we consider that our, our real responsibility. But you mentioned the regulars. We also want to make uh, available to our listeners the expertise of people like uh, Al and Larry Ubell, Monona Russell, uh, the, uh, the, our language brother and sister. Kathy and Ross Petrus, Pete Morosky, our gardening expert. Mm -hmm. You know, these are people, uh, you know, Leonard and I might work in radio, but we're also radio fans. And we know that certain voices are 
powerful and uh, voices that you you might want to hear more than once. Um, you know, once someone becomes a regular on this show, it's not about how great their appearance is in, in one sense, although our regulars do always seem to deliver great radio. It's like I said, it's about the topic, but it's also an area that we know, a, a well that we feel comfortable returning to over and over again and, and feel that uh, our regular contributors will always have something new to say. Uh, hard to find an example more clear uh, than today's guest, Michael Patrick McDonald. So if you value those repeat voices we bring you on the show, please consider going right now. Don't even consider, just do it. Go to 516, call 516-620-3602, or go to give to WBAI.org. That's give, then the number two, WBAI.org. One last time, if you make a, a, a sustaining contribution of $10 a month or more, that's what we call becoming a BAI buddy here at the station, uh, you will get a free autographed copy of Michael Patrick McDonald's best-selling 2007 memoir, All Souls, A Family Story from Southie. But what Whatever contribution you're comfortable making, we appreciate. And if you go to the website, give to WBAI.org, you'll find a whole variety of other options, other gifts that we can send you. Uh, for example, our Spy Sites of New York book, New York City, rather, our Spy Sites of New York City book is available for anyone who wants to make a $50 contribution. That is still uh, an offer that is still running. So please, one last time, step up. Help support the show. Help keep this station on the air so that we can continue to be the alternative to the corporate juggernauts that don't just control uh, commercial radio, but sadly, control a lot of public radio stations, too. But we can only do that with your help. I'm going to give it out one last time, Leonard, then I'm going to let you get back to this fascinating conversation. The number 516-620-3602 or the website give to WBAI.org. And thank you from all of us at the show for your support. And let's get back to Michael Patrick McDonald. Uh, Michael, I remember uh, in a previous visit, we talked about uh, the uh, the victory, the election victory of Leo Varadkar, who is uh, oh. Ireland's prime minister from the, the, the Fine Gael party. Mm -hmm. um, and that was seen as a, a major change. Mm -hmm. And now, isn't uh, this Sinn Féin victory a major defeat for, for Leo Varadkar? It's a huge defeat for, uh, for Leo. Um, and... Uh, just referring to the the huge change that it represented, Leo Varadka is of Indian parents. He's Irish, uh, born and raised in Ireland, and he's of Indian parents. So he's, he's gay, isn't he? And he's gay and out, and um, and so that Does was a Pete huge. Pete Buttigieg know this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not the first, right? But um, but and and he's very similar, I think. Um, he's very neoliberal, and um, so he would be very conservative economically. And um, so, but he represented the kind of um, neoliberal conservative uh, in Ireland today. And um, and that's kind of out the window. Sinn Féin is, of course, um, uh, progressive on marriage equality and progressive on choice and so forth, as well as having the economic agenda. So I think people went through this little blip and are kind of um, bringing together both economic and social liberalism, left-wingism. Left but he's also been very adept at... Uh, Balancing the diplomatic relationship with with Great Britain with Boris Johnson, he was, um, and um, some would say a little bit maybe too, too accommodating. Too accommodating, and well, you know, up to this point, 
that might have been necessary, but he probably would keep going more and more West Brit, as as people are often called. You're, you know, it's Irish people that are um, just kind of British leaning uh, as as a kind of um, a colonized mind. Uh, situation um, that that they've grown up with. I mean, he grew up very privileged and, you know, went to all the fancy schools and stuff. Um, And so he would be very West Brit leaning and and that could get um, post-Brexit, that could get uh, kind of scary to some people because some people are afraid that there are there are individuals in Ireland who would want to go back to Commonwealth status, being part of the British Commonwealth. Well, he just announced that he's willing to step back and allow Sinn Féin to form a government, but he warned that Sinn Féin made, quote, a lot of promises to a lot of people, mm. and now it's going to have to deliver. Okay, yeah, and that's that's true. Um, and But I, I, I think that um, they're capable of doing I mean, the population really, they're not into this. It's one of the things that really blows my mind over there. People are just not mean. Like, they're just not... I don't want to swear, but they're, um, people are kind of kind on these issues, like in terms of fairness and, and housing and stuff. Of course, there is a, you know, kind of vulture capitalist class in Ireland, like there is everywhere, but uh, in the West. But Well, you said there was in, uh, economic inequity. Yeah, know. economic inequity. And I, I don't know, I think that there were horrible things about the ascendancy of the Catholic Church, um, but there's also a history of Catholic social teaching around social issues, you know, kind of social justice leaning. So there's, I think they maybe kept some of that. I mean, I I don't think that that will go away with the people and people really are just kind of generous. It's, it's really unbelievable. And I, I can't say it enough. It's not a fantasy when I'm over there. It's really different in, in terms of the culture of kind of generosity. So people, people are really serious about making this happen, about making, um, you know, putting limits on on rent and so forth, like things that we could do here and we're not going to do, like things like rent control, that's kind of more doable over there than it is here. But uh, as you pointed out, there's a, the fragmented results will pre- be producing a hung parliament with no party close to the 80 seats mm-hmm. that would allow anyone to rule. Haven't Finn Gael and Fianna Fáil Ireland's ruling parties uh, until now always ruled out forming a coalition with Sinn Féin? Yes. Is, is, uh, at this point, do they have a choice? Um, well, they're keeping to their... Prom- well, Fine Gael especially is saying they're ready to be the opposition, so they're definitely out of question. And, um, and, and Fianna Fáil are so far, I believe, rejecting the idea. They would both have spent the past you know, however many decades calling Sinn Féin terrorists. So they're, they're not going to go that route. Um, if an election is called, the question then is, would there be enough, uh, would there be enough seats on the left uh, gained to form a left-wing coalition? No, the, the Northern Irish Parliament, the, the Stormont, is back up mm-hmm. and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've come up with all, all sorts of uh, agreements on things like rights, mm-hmm. language rights, et cetera, that right. uh, allowed... Uh, Sinn Féin in the north to go back to into power sharing in in that assembly. Right. Uh, language rights in particular was was one thing addressed. It wasn't what um, what was agreed to wasn't what um, Republican Irish identified people in the north were looking for. But um, language rights meaning the meaning people... the right of the Irish language. And this is something a lot of um, people might not know. You know, the, 
Ireland has its own language. That we had the Irish Gaelic language, and of course, because of British. How colonization, many people speak Gaelic uh, um, as an, an, uh, an, uh, on a daily basis? So it was a pop. It was a. It was a. It's a language that was diminished as a result of colonization forcibly. I mean, it was outlawed. Um, so this is part of the history, the British of the colon British colonization of the island of Ireland, um, but it remained strong in the west of Ireland, the far, furthest western reaches where British influence didn't make it. It also um, grew in the northern six counties among Irish identified Catholic nationalist Republican people as a kind of form of resistance to kind of reclaim their culture, to decolonize the mind and to, and to bring back, back the cultural, like the sports, the Gaelic sports, the Gaelic language and so forth. So it's actually the team pretty is strong. even called the Gales. Yeah. It's, it's even, it's, it's pretty strong in the North um, of Ireland among that Irish identified Catholic nationalist Republican population. But it's just, it's just um, been constantly a reminder. The, the unionist loyalist Protestant, rejection of all things Irish language, even insisting on all street signs in English and banning the idea of any street signs in Irish. Just that, that's been just um, a, a constant reminder of what it means to be kept in your place. So people have attached themselves to the Irish language as a form of at least psychological resistance. Now, Boris Johnson and the Tories were warned about Brexit. Brexit. Hasn't it proved to be a boon for nationalist movements across the UK, uh, in Scotland, where polls now right. show a, a surge of support for Scottish independence, mm -hmm. uh, Northern Ireland, as we said, uh, the, uh, at least the majority of lawmakers, mm -hmm. and in Wales, which has also seen an uptick in secessionist th sentiment. So mm -hmm. uh, are we going to have, have a UK? <laughs> and you have, um, you know, People celebrated that Le Pen lost in France, but that was a pretty sizable vote. And that was, you know, the Le Pen vote, the that would be the, mm -hmm. you know, anti-EU vote. Um, what's interesting about um, the whole notion, well, attitudes toward the EU and Ireland, Sinn Féin historically have not um, been really a pro-EU party. But, of course, the, what happened with Brexit allowed, kind of gave an opportunity um, to latch on to the EU um, and remaining um, as, as a, a popularity thing. But they, you know, Sinn Féin is very critical of the European Union and, and of, um, and, you know, for a lot of good reasons, I think. Um, but they're kind of putting that on hold uh, because right now Irish unity is at the forefront. And then um, an Ireland within the European Union, but with reservations is probably where they'll want to go. But, uh, but although support for reunification uh, is high, Ian O'Malley, a political science professor at Dublin City University, says that people, quote, are not sure about exactly what circumstances they would be willing to accept and, and vote for it, especially if it means higher taxes. If it means higher taxes um, in Ireland. Well, yeah. I think that, yeah. And yeah. And then you have to keep in mind, too, through all of this conversation we're having, that that Protestant unionist loyalist population that resists a united Ireland you know, might be a minority with even within the North. It's definitely a, a minority within the island of Ireland, but they, um, but they're they're a, a sizable minority, and um, they're not going away that quickly. So there's there's a lot of issues to be ironed out. Um, do you, Do you think that it's assumed that there will be a reunification or I think it's, uh, I think or, it's or, or accommodation? Um, 
I think island-wide, it's kind of becoming more, just from my sense of being over there, everybody kind of sees it as an inevitable, inevitable at this point. And even, of course, the loyalists see it as inevitable. And there are more moderate-leaning, I guess, unionists who are starting to prepare for that. I've met some. That was the amazing thing about being over there. You know, I've had, a, I lived in a mixed area of kind of, you know, a park slopey kind of mixed area. Mm-hmm. Though, um, and... Um, you know, you'd call a taxi and my taxi drivers would be from both sides of the historic divide. And I'd always have, I loved having conversations with some of the Protestant taxi drivers who, again, the, 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 the language they use is that they're not afraid. And that's a huge development. They're not afraid of United Ireland. Um, and, and, but there are a lot of details that they're concerned about, including the protection of their rights as a minority. And what about the impact on the economy? It's been reported that because of Brexit, there has been a 20% reduction of French and German tourists coming from the south of the border to visit major northern Irish tourist attractions like the Giant's Causeway and mm-hmm. Titanic Belfast. And that might have to do with some kind of press scares about the possibility of the war coming back, of the troubles coming back. Um, so people might think, oh, that's a troubled place. I don't want to go there. So that, that I, I bring 20, this year, 24 students over for a month-long trip throughout the north uh, from Northeastern University. And um, for me, it's the... It's the most amazing place to see not only um, this whole history of Ireland that we're talking about that, that, that comes into play in every uh, contemporary conversation today, but also it, it has so many parallels throughout the world. When you're talking about colonization, when you're talking about immigration, when you talk, and, and it was the first, it was the place that was colonized first by the empire that then colonized the world. Michael Patrick McDonald, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. We'll see you you in a couple of months. It's great to be back. The first place I came after my book, All Souls, came out, WBAI. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and our executive producer, Jesse Lent, for their invaluable contributions throughout the week. If you're new to our show and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also, in fact, this one in a couple of hours, it'll be available. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com where you can find links to all of our past shows. And we invite your comments on all of those sites. We are preempted on Monday for WBAI special programming, but we hope you'll tune in on Tuesday when Diane Ravitch will be here to discuss her book, Slaying Goliath, The Passionate Resistance to Privatization and the Fight to Save America's Public Schools. We hope you have a great weekend. And we hope that you will also do your part to keep WBAI financially secure. One way to do that is by becoming a BAI buddy by going to WBAI.org. That's WBAI, give to, number two, WBAI.org, or by calling 516-620-3602. And everyone who becomes a BAI buddy today for a donation of $10 or more will get a free signed copy of Michael Patrick McDonald's All Souls, A Family Story from Southie. 